Father God, we thank you that we can come into this church and worship you as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. We thank you too that this can be done in perfect freedom. Prepare our hearts now and we pray for an anointing on the message which Duncan will bring to us. Lord, whatever he says, may it glorify your name. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I'll ask Anne Tilly to come and give the Bible reading. Thanks, Anne. Great, so our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, reading from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And if you have a church Bible, the bookmark should be in the right place for you. Final instructions. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, it's great to um, be with your friends. I hope that you've, if you're able to, if you've been able to be here uh, and in home groups reading through this little letter of 1 Thessalonians, I hope it's been a real encouragement to you, a challenge as well as um, God has spoken to us and shaped us. Um, we do come to the end of the letter today. Um, and last words are always, or not always, but they're often important, aren't they? You might know some famous last words. I did a bit of a, a, some research this week. Uh, and apparently, the ancient mathematician Archimedes, um, apparently his last words were, stand away, fellow, from my diagram. <laughs> so the story goes that there was a war going on and there was a soldier who, was gonna tr who tried to capture Archimedes and drag him away, but he was so obsessed with this maths problem that he was working on, he refused to go until he'd solved his problem. And so the soldier got sort of annoyed with him and that was the end of Archimedes. Um, this is a funny one. Groucho Marx, his last words apparently was, this is no way to live. Uh, you can imagine Groucho Marx saying that. This is no way to live. 
Um, from the ridiculous to the sublime, though, um, uh, one account of the musician Beethoven, if you know um, Beethoven, um, sort of in many ways a tragic figure. He was deaf for the last part of his life, but produced some of the most beautiful music that's ever been written. And apparently one source says that his last words were, I will hear in heaven. I will hear in heaven. It captures something really significant about a person, right? Their last words, um, what drove them, what they wanted to leave behind. Um, I've mentioned this a few times, but one of my favourite last words are the last words of Luther. Um, as he was dying, his last words were, we are all beggars. This is true. It kind of captured, uh, it captured the essence of what his whole framework was about, that we bring nothing to God, but we only receive from him. Um, well, we come to these last words of Paul. They're not the last words of his life. Um, they're the last words of this letter, but they capture something of that same sense of urgency um, and importance um, that these last famous last words can have. But I, I don't know if you found this as you read through this last section, as we heard it just now. It can feel like a bit of a shotgun approach, right? This kind of scattered um, firing off of all these different things. Um, and what's going on there? Is it just that Paul uh, gets to the end of his letter and um, is running out of parchment to write on, so he thinks, oh, I better kind of cram in as much as I can get at the end here? Um, I, I don't think it's, that's exactly what's going on. It's not actually a kind of hasty, random shotgun collection of all this scattered advice. Um, in many ways, what we're going to read this morning and reflect on is the culmination of the whole letter, actually. Um, if everything Paul has written so far is true, if it's really true, then this is what flows out of that. This flows out of everything he's written. It beautifully captures Paul's heartfelt concern for these new Christians. Um, if you've sort of been with us through Thessalonians, hopefully you'll know that this was a group of people who had their lives basically turned upside down, totally transformed by the good news of Jesus. Um, Paul had brought this to them. Um, we, uh, it's not up on the screen, but you can flick back to chapter 4 if you've got your Bible open. Um, uh, we read there kind of the, Paul's snapshot of that. Um, back in 4.14 he wrote, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. These Thessalonian... People, this gathering of people, they'd heard this news about Jesus. They'd heard that news that Jesus died and rose again and God will bring together with him all those who have fallen asleep in him. They'd heard this news and they'd received it with joy, they'd believed it. And a, and a big part of what we've seen of Paul writing this letter has been him urging them, um, urging them to let that truth, that, that truth filter down into every part of their life and impact them on every level. And the key part that Paul zones in on at the end of his letter is, he's talked about it um, in, in a way in passing before, but he really focuses in on their life together as God's family in the church. Um, when we hear the word church, uh, we probably shouldn't think institution. Um, the, the word just means that gathering of people who have come to believe this truth, 
about Jesus, that gathering of people who have been gathered together in Christ, who believe that gospel and who seek to live in the light of it. Um, so that's what Paul's going to get to now, these really significant last words. Um, I just wanted to flag a couple of uh, dangers, though, I guess, as we, as we head into this last part of um, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and especially when you get this list, this long list of one sort of instruction and command after another. Um, there's a couple of dangers. So the first is to forget the gospel, uh, to forget that what is um, what grounds our life and what is primary is what God has done in Jesus. That's the, the basis for everything. Um, we don't want to forget the gospel and just read these as cold kind of rules. In fact, the passage itself won't let us do that, which we'll see as we go through. The second danger, though, is as we hear this, um, it's, it's possible for us to kind of read this but with our eyes on someone else as we hear it. You might be thinking, gee, I'm glad such and such is here to hear this. Uh, or I wish such so-and-so were here to hear this. Um, uh, there's, some tr- there's some goodness in that. But friends, take the opportunity today to, to hear this as a word for you. For you to take the opportunity to let the word of God speak to you and comfort and warm and confront you. So, friends, so what are Paul's final words to this gathering of people, this people who have come to believe the truth about Jesus? Uh, the key is, uh, one of the, the key that he starts off with is, for he wants them um, to learn to live together in this new family in peace. You would have read that as we went through in verse 13. Live in peace with each other. Um, he has a real desire for this new church family to live with peace. And before he says that, though, uh, you, um, he starts with, it all starts with how this new community treats its leaders. We read that in verse 12 and the first part of verse 13. Um, Paul's got a lot to say directly to leaders, and he, he says it in other places, places like 1 Timothy, uh, laying out high expectations of those who would lead in the church. And, and you get an insight into that here as well, as we read through. You can get kind of an insight into what that looks like. In verse 12, they're to work hard, those who work hard, uh, those who care for you in the Lord, or some translations who are over you in the Lord, you get this sense of careful oversights. Um, those who admonish you, who care enough to say things that at times you don't want to hear, um, whose primary interest is not in keeping you happy, but in urging you to be holy. Um, so you get an insight into the character of what Paul sees um, the leadership in this family as being. But uh, while that's all true, uh, oh, oh, sorry, and, and where those aren't true, actually, that's worth saying that, where those aren't true, where leaders are lazy and um, when they neglect their duty of care to oversee the health of the church, when they become people pleasers who lack the courage to confront people in their sin, well, that's all true. That's a problem um, and needs to be dealt with. But just notice here as we read through, the the spotlight isn't actually on the leaders. Uh, It assumes that those things are happening and those things are true. Uh, The spotlight is on the whole church family, brothers and sisters. Paul urges the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica and 
all of God's family, um, to acknowledge those who do these things, to recognize them. He goes further in verse 13, to hold them in the highest regard in love. Um, now, it can seem a bit strange to us, right? Um, a strange thing maybe to say, especially in the land of the tall poppy syndrome. Right? Australians have this kind of deep, ingrained suspicion of institutions and authority. And, um, but, and this is really important, actually, as we read through. Uh, it's really important to see this as Paul goes on. Uh, this isn't um, a kind of mindless celebrity culture, right? Just a, a mindless following after whatever guru and wherever they go. Um, notice why Paul says, Paul urges these Thessalonian Christians to treat their leaders this way. It's not because of their magnetic personality. It's not because you like them necessarily. Why? In verse 13, it's because of their work. Um, and in, in the context of this letter, Thessalonians, this work in the broader sense is the work that Paul himself has been swept up in and engaged in, uh, the work of the gospel, proclaiming the news of Jesus, of his death and resurrection, urging people to accept it and live in its light. Um, this call to acknowledge leaders isn't a call to mindlessly put people on a pedestal, it's just a natural outworking of a community of people who have the gospel at their hearts, who have the gospel as their driving concern, who are so keen to see Christ proclaimed that they can put aside personal ambition and pride and they can get behind and cheer on those who lead us in the gospel. Um, sometimes churches fail because of ungodliness and sin in leadership. And it's always tragic when that happens. Um, but what God's word puts before us here is the very real responsibility that all God's people carry to pursue peace in this way. Um, and I praise God, actually, for the way that this is so clearly at work here among us for the sake of the gospel. Um, but Paul goes on. And, and as he goes on to kind of... Uh, fill out this picture. The, the picture is not just of God's people acknowledging, loving their leaders in the gospel, getting behind that. It's, it's actually of a family hard at work in the gospel. Verse 14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. You notice, it's beautiful, I think, here. You notice how each person is given just what they need, just what's appropriate for them. Uh, you get this in good stories. Um, uh, you probably, if you've been around any time, you probably know one of my favourite stories. Lord of the Rings is this scene where Galadriel gives these gifts out uh, to the fellowship, and each person gets just what they need, and sort of it plays out through the story. The gardener, Sam, gets this box of earth and Frodo gets his magic file and, uh, of course, Aragorn gets the elf stone, the pledge of marriage from her granddaughter, Arwen. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. Uh, um, but in God's family, Paul urges each, urges each person to give each other person what's appropriate for them. 
Um, it's not it's not all positive though. You can see there as you go on the, the first sort of people that Paul expects will um, uh, be around in their church. Those who are idle and disruptive. Um, those who are slow to help and quick to criticize. Um, Paul says to to warn them. This is not God's way. It's damaging the work of the gospel. Um, and, and again, just notice though, this isn't Paul urging the leaders to do this. It's urging you to do this, to take that responsibility. Um, to those who are disheartened, who are just depressed and discouraged, Paul urges them to encourage them, remind them of the gospel, remind them of God's love for them, of their, his forgiveness for them. Those who are weak, who for whatever reason lack capacity through sickness or circumstance, Paul urges them to help them. Jump on board with the meals team or the job squad, uh, or in just informal ways. Um, but as you keep reading, though, you notice that there is one thing that doesn't depend on the person. All those things, it, it kind of depends on where that person's at. There's one thing that he says that doesn't depend on them, one quality that should colour all of our relationships. And he says, be patient with everyone. It's hard, isn't it? Hard for those of us who want things done and things done now and um, get frustrated when others don't go according to our time schedule. But Paul says, this is, this is regardless of where anyone's at, be patient. Um, then he keeps going, make sure that there's no culture of revenge, sort of paying back wrong for wrong, but instead being on the lookout to do good to everyone, uh, to each other and everyone else. Strive for it, he says. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remember that you're a forgiven sinner. And remember that God didn't repay you evil for the evil that you have done to him. And that in Jesus, he has been overwhelmingly good to you. And that's, that needs to flow out in how you relate in the church. So, I mean, there's lots there, isn't there? But it's worth pausing now and just asking yourself, how are you going at this? Imagine yourself in a conversation with someone who um, is just being disruptive and critical uh, unnecessarily. Would, would you love them enough to say, in grace and patience, but in clarity, you shouldn't be talking like that. <laughs> it's not right. Uh, a friend who is idle, who perhaps you sense sees the church as a product to consume rather than a, a family to belong to and to commit to and give themselves to. Um, would you spur them on? Um, someone who's really struggling, who's discouraged, who's weak, do you know them well enough to encourage them in the gospel and offer them help? Um, none of this, you see, friends, none of this is possible without a serious, ongoing, costly, grace-driven commitment to a local church family. Uh, we won't be able to put God's word in here into practice unless... Uh, if you see the church as an event, as a service that you are provided, rather than what it really is, your family in Christ, of which you are an integral and key part and an active part. Well, we keep reading Paul's final words. 
um, about what this looks like for the Thessalonians. Paul, Paul turns now, he turns uh, to talk about the inner life of these Christian people, the inner life of gospel people. And this is just such a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the work God is doing in us by his Holy Spirit. Verse 16, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. This transformation that the Thessalonians have gone through, their lives have been turned upside down, um, it's all been... Not because they've worked hard for it. It hasn't been because of something within them. They've brought it about. It's all been the gracious gift of God to them. God's work in them by his spirit. And we've seen that all through the letter. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, it was God's spirit who enabled them to hear the gospel, not just as words, but with power and deep conviction. That was God's spirit at work in them, enabling that. Um, it was, if you kept reading in chapter 1, you, you hear that it was God's Spirit that enabled them to rejoice in the midst of severe suffering as they received this word. To have real joy even though their circumstances were really against them. Um, and we saw in chapter 4 again that, that the Spirit, it's the Spirit who wills and works in us our holiness. The Holy Spirit makes us holy and, our, and, and works within us our desire to live to please God. Um, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Turn that on its head, though. If you are a Christian, if you have heard and received the gospel, not just as words, but with conviction, if you've heard and received it, Um, then you don't need to worry about whether you have the Holy Spirit or not. You could never do that without him. Um, And it's it's him you have, not just a part of him. Um, If I come over to your house, uh, I'm either in it or out of it. I'm not kind of half in, but I can come over and you could close off rooms to me. You probably would want to do that. If you don't like me very much, you might leave me in the corridor. Uh, That might be appropriate for me, Uh, but not with God. He wants every room. And when we close off parts of our life to him, when we say, you can't touch that relationship, I'll enjoy your company in this room, but not that one. Not that one that says over it, my bank account or sex or work. You can't come there. Um, When we do that, we resist his will, his work over all of our life, it's like we're pouring water on his fire. God wants to refine and set you alight with the fire of his holy love. And in particularly in focus here, he wants to make it so that you, like the Thessalonians, you can rejoice always. So that you can pray continually Not literally, I don't think he's talking there, but he's going to the heart, a heart of this eager and expectant dependence on God. He wants to make it so that you can give thanks. 
have a thankfulness about you. Not, not give thanks for all circumstances. Um, you notice that's not what Paul says, but give thanks in all circumstances, whatever circumstances come. That is God's will for you. In Jesus Christ, that's what he's been doing in you through the gospel and by his spirit. So friends, don't quench him. Don't close off your joyless heart and refuse to have it genuinely warmed and filled with joy at the news of his love. Don't close off your self-dependence and refuse to be humbled so that you rely on him more deeply. Don't close off your thanklessness so that you take your eyes off Jesus and the gospel, the ultimate reason why we can always give thanks. Let the Spirit blaze. And Paul goes on in verse 20, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Uh, exactly what prophecy is in the New Testament is something that good-hearted and thoughtful, gospel-focused Christians have and continue to disagree on. Um, and I'm sure we'll have a range of kind of thoughts about that uh, among us. Um, I can't really, there's not time to go into all of that. I just will share some of my current thoughts about this. It may be helpful. Um, I think uh, that um, at its heart, prophecy is, if you really boil it down, prophecy is speaking God's word to his people. It's pretty simple. Uh, speaking God's word to his people. In the Old Testament, um, prophets, the, the prophets did that. They brought revelation direct from God to his people. Um, we read in Hebrews, though, uh, that in the past God spoke through prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. Uh, all the prophets were straining towards the full revelation, the final revelation of God in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we know Jesus through the recorded witness of the prophets and the witness of the New Testament apostles, the prophets as they strained forward and the apostles as they witnessed back to him. So um, I, uh, I don't think Old Testament prophecy continues in terms of new revelation, not because it's scary or anything like that, but simply because in Jesus we have the fullness of God's revelation to us. We have the reality to which the prophets were pointing. But uh, there does seem to be in the New Testament a continuing prophetic ministry, not in this foundational sense of giving new revelation that pointed towards Jesus. Uh, there does seem to be a continuing prophetic ministry that's sort of changed slightly so that um, it's testable, which we'll read about today. It sort of not, doesn't have the same level of authority as an Old Testament prophet did. Um, it's, it's, it seems to be, and one place to kind of read up on this is 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, it's, it seems to be speaking of God's word in such a way that people are strengthened and encouraged and comforted. Paul writes that about prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, and again in that chapter, where their sin is exposed and their hearts are laid bare. When you feel like God is kind of peeling you open and speaking right into you in your particular circumstance, in your struggles, um, something like 
that kind of personal, deep application of the Word of God into your life. Um, sometimes I think prepared or, or spontaneous. Now God is at work through all different means. Uh, but at the risk of sort of simplifying and hopefully not confusing, uh, that's my thoughts at the moment. But when that happens, when God speaks, when God's word speaks into your heart, when, you, uh, when your heart is laid open, laid bare by someone, don't despise it. Um, don't let, just let it go in one ear and out the other. Be discerning, Paul writes. He t- says, test it. Don't just follow anyone anywhere. Don't follow it if it leads you somewhere away from God's word. But this prophetic ministry is one way in which God's spirit is blazing, <laughs> is at work within you, is refining you, is growing you. Okay, probably more questions there and things you want to come back at me at. That's fine. We can Feel free to grab me afterwards. Um, We've covered a lot, haven't we? Uh, Covered a lot in this passage. Um, There's lots that the Apostle Paul longs for this church. Um, There's lots that he longs for us, actually. Um, As he was writing this consciously to be uh, copied and sent out to all Christians. Um, But the basis for his longing and his confidence is not in us. It's not in our ability. Paul knows that all these things that he longs for these Christian people, Paul knows that these longings can be confident longings because he knows the one who is at work to bring them about. Verse 23. This is beautiful, wonderful, rich reflection on the God who is at work. May God himself, a prayer actually, may God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Um, Because God is personally active, personally active and sovereign and good and working all things to bring about his good purposes in Christ. That is the basis of their joyful confidence, their hope, their peace. We have our part to play. That's been sort of obvious in this passage. We have our part to play. But under God and over it all, under and over it all is this God, the God of the gospel, who is ready to forgive when we mess up who gives us all we need by his own spirit that is so powerfully and brightly at work among his people. It's also why I think Paul closes like he does. Um, He needs God just as much as they do. So he urges them, please pray for me, in verse 25. He urges them and he keeps going. He urges this warm and word-based unity among them in verse 26 and 27. Uh, He wants them to express their affection in holy and appropriate but genuine ways. In their culture, it was a kiss. Um, Not sure exactly, you know, it might be different here, depending on what culture you're from. Uh, You can come up and give me a kiss if you like. 
Uh, but the form isn't as important as the reality um, of genuine affection expressed in appropriate and holy ways. Um, and he finishes with this solemn charge to have his letter read out. He knows, uh, he, he knew he, uh, that he knew that he was an apostle, that he spoke with Jesus' own authority. He knew that um, this wasn't him kind of grandstanding himself. But he, did, he knows that we, we need not a word from inside ourselves, but a word from outside ourselves. We need God's word to come to us and humble us, break us down, and then renew us and remake us in the image of Christ. Um, he knows we need that, and, that's, and he knows that as he writes under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, that's what this letter is. So he urges it to be read out. And he finishes with this uh, wonderful ending. It's easy to kind of gloss over it, isn't it? Because Paul often en ends his letters like this. Um, but really this is at the heart um, of everything that Paul has been saying across the whole letter. And it's really what we need to be left with. Um, the, Paul writes and finishes off, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Friends, it's grace that we need, isn't it? It's grace. It's God's work in us and for us that enables our own cooperation and our own work, our own partnership in that. We need God's grace. Will you receive it today? If you haven't yet, please do. Don't put it off. If you have, live in it. Live in that grace. Let it transform you and sink into every room in your house. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the transforming grace that you have poured out on us in the gospel. We thank you that you have made us right with you. And not only that, you've drawn us into your family as your church. Lord, help us to live at peace with one another. Um, help us to receive your word here. Help us to have the gospel at our hearts. The thing that we most want to see progress. Give us a humility as we live together. Give us a boldness as we live together. Um, we pray that we might be a church that care enough about each other, that are involved enough with each other to be able to give a gentle, patient warning when needed, um, to be able to notice those who are disheartened and weak and, and encourage them and help them. Keep us from that kind of um, that kind of um, paying back wrong for wrong that's so destructive in any community. Lord, fill us with grace, we pray, so that we might seek to do good to each other and to everyone else. May we not quench the blaze of your spirit within us, Father. Make it possible that we might rejoice always and pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, knowing that that is your will for us. May we not treat prophecies with contempt. May we test them all and hold on to what is good. And Lord, we, I just finish with this prayer. And we pray it for ourselves. 
We ask, Father, that you, the God of peace, would sanctify us, would make us holy through and through in every room of our lives. We pray that our whole, our whole being, spirit, soul and body, we pray that all of us will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that you are faithful. And so we pray that confident that you will do it. May we trust and rest in your faithfulness as we wait for the return of our Lord. And we pray all of this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.